Hello, my favorite rebels. Today, I take you through a surprise regulation that was simply published by the government of Quebec. You know, that's how you can pass a lot of rules. You don't always have to have a law and debates and a vote. You can pass a lot of rules just by regulation. That's what Quebec did today, requiring a values test for new immigrants. All right, that's interesting. But even more interesting is the response or the lack thereof by the usual suspects. Not one of them called it racist. I'll show you their reactions. Hey, before I do, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Go to premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version of this podcast, plus access to Sheila Gunn Reed's show and David's Manchie's show. And it helps us out. It's only eight bucks a month. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, Quebec does what Stephen Harper and Kelly Leach wanted to do, bring in a values test for new immigrants, and the media is fine with it. It's October 30th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Oh my God, did the media party rip apart Stephen Harper and Kelly Leach when in the 2015 election campaign they suggested that we promote Canadian values to new Canadians. I know, it's crazy. Well, it was crazy to the media party who thought it was proof of racism and Islamophobia. That was their narrative back then. After that, Kelly Leach ran for the Conservative Party's leadership race and did fairly well, placing ahead of Lisa Raitt, Chris Alexander, other cabinet ministers in part by focusing on that values test. Oh boy, did the media hate that. They claimed it was alt-right. Seriously, asking newcomers to Canada to agree to the equality of men and women, that sort of thing, is alt-right. Here's a typical reaction by McLean's magazine responding to Kelly Leach's campaign. My name is Murad, and I'm an immigrant and an editor at McLean's. MP Kelly Leach, who's running to be leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, has made screening for so-called Canadian values the centerpiece of her platform. She's been using generic buzzwords like generosity, hard work, and freedom to describe these values. Then in March, Leach sent out three sample screening questions to subscribers of Rebel Media, a digital outlet that attracts an alt-right crowd. So I'm going to answer her questions and find out if I'm Canadian enough for Kelly Leach. I'm not sure if that's really winning people over, putting Canadian values in square, scare quotes, putting words like freedom in scare quotes, but that's McLean's magazine. They would be out of business in two weeks were it not for massive subsidies from Justin Trudeau. So having a Muslim immigrant mock equality and freedom pretty much on brand for them, that sneering tone was ubiquitous in the media, uh, including this incredible headline in the New York Times about Kelly Leach, candidates call to save Canadian values, un-Canadian, <laughs> un-Canadian. Yeah, you've gotta be a PhD to handle that kind of super 3D logic. Oh my God, anyways, 
It was all confirmed. All the official people agreed. You can't dare to ask people who come to Canada to believe in Canada. I mean, if you or I wanted in some alternative universe to move to Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, I don't know if anyone even does that. You'd have to follow their customs. Imagine thinking you could be a woman and walking through Mecca without wearing a morgue-style body bag on you and being accompanied by your male guardian owner. But to come to Canada? How dare you ask people if they believe in Canadian things? One more sneering clip from that McLean's video. And look, it's not like Canada's immigration system doesn't check for this stuff already. Before you get to Canada, you have to fill out all of these forms that ask if you've ever been involved with religious or political violence or criminal activity. The RCMP can do a background check on you when you might have to get police clearances from countries you've previously lived in. See, that's the thing. Um, that's not what a values test is. Committing crimes is committing crimes. It's a, it's a different thing. A values test means asking someone about their heart. Do they believe? that a woman doesn't have to wear a niqab to go outside. That's not going to show up in a criminal record, especially back in Iran or Syria or something. Asking someone in Syria how they feel about Jews or gays isn't going to show up in a criminal records check. By the way, some of those failed states like Somalia or Syria, they don't even have reliable criminal records databases. They're sh shambles. It's a crock to rely on that. I'm talking about the obvious. If someone is forcing his own wife and daughters to wear a body bag? I said wife singular. There are thousands of migrants to Canada who engage in polygamy, by the way. I'm guessing uh, they're not really buying into Canadian values. Yet none of those things are asked now. In fact, most immigrants to Canada don't even have to have an in-person meeting now. They just fill out some forms. That's not normal, by the way. This is a real picture from a real Quebec daycare. Subsidized by taxpayers, by the way, that's real. That is not the Canadian way, but that is becoming the Canadian way. The media party and the Liberal Party and the NDP and everyone who counts denounced Harper and then denounced Kelly Leach as racist. Of course they did. But then today, Quebec's Premier Francois Legault, look at this, he just did it. He just passed a regulation, he published it. It's not even a law that needs a vote. He just published this regulation in the official gazette just writing it and ordering it to be done. Bringing in a values test. Here's how the CBC State Broadcaster reported it. Quebec will make immigrants pass values tests to qualify for residency. Tests will cover what government calls democratic values and Quebec values. Now I'm gonna to read to you the first full six paragraphs in a row. It's a little bit long, but I wanna show you the difference in tone between now and a couple years ago. Here's how the CBC covered Kelly Leach, a story on how she doesn't understand anything. She's really dumb. They found a, doctor, a lawyer to say so. She's actually not dumb. She's a medical doctor. She's a scholar. She's an expert. But the CBC said she was dumb. Um, to want Canadian values? Oh, and of course, here again from the CBC, she's a super racist. I note uh, that this story was written by John Paul Tasker, who just happens to be one of the Trudeau supporters embedded in the CBC, who sued, along with Rosemary Barton, literally a lead plaintiff suing the Conservative Party in this last election. This was war for the CBC, this issue, when it was Kelly Leach or Stephen Harper. So that's how it was. That's how they covered it two years ago. But listen to the CBC now. 
Immigrants to Canada who want to settle in Quebec will soon be required to pass a provincial values test. Starting January 1, new arrivals will have to prove they have learned democratic values and Quebec values in order to obtain a selection certificate, the first step toward permanent residency for immigrants wanting to live in the province. Premier Francois Legault said the test, which was a promise made by Coalition Avenir Quebec in last year's provincial election, sends a clear message to would-be immigrants. I think it's important if someone wants to come and live in Quebec to know that, for example, women are equal to men in Quebec, he said Wednesday, stressing that some religious extremists don't share that view. He added that it's important newcomers understand the province's new secularism law, which bans public workers in positions of authority from wearing religious symbols. I think it's important before deciding and coming to Quebec, if you expect to be in a job in a position of authority, you will not have a right to wear a religious sign. I think it's important that we understand the values and the society where you want to live. That's pretty straight reporting. I mean, we're almost done the story and not one accusation of racism or that he's so stupid, he doesn't know how things work. In fact, the only use of the word extremism is Legault calling Muslim extremists extremists for not wanting the equality of men and women. Isn't that incredible? I read the whole story. Not only did the CBC not criticize Legault themselves, but the CBC didn't interview anyone else. They didn't quote anyone else who was even opposed. <laughs> no one. Let me show you that wasn't rare. Here's Radio Canada. That's the French CBC. Same thing. I won't read the whole thing to you. Take my word for it. There's not a word in opposition, not one word. Here's CTV Montreal. They started out the same way, just reporting the news straight. And then the first opposition criticism is actually the Parti Québécois just saying, hey, uh, when will we know what the questions on the test will be? Parti Québécois immigration critic Megan Perry Melanson insists the government should reveal exactly what kind of questions will be asked. We can assume some people are going to lie on the test, she said. If they really, really want to come to Quebec, they are going to do everything they can, unquote. As in the PQ wants this test to be tough. They're worried that people will just lie to get through it by saying what's expected of them, which is obviously true. I mean, obviously, this problem of not a fit with Canadian values has to be solved before the migrants are even over here. In a way, this really makes no sense to impose these tests when the big polygamous niqab-wearing bigoted family is already here and on welfare. The Parti Québécois is right on that. Uh, how does this even help if they're here? Wouldn't they lie? But at least a test that is late and can be cheated on is better than nothing, which is what we have now. Okay, so what did the liberals say? Nothing, literally nothing. Let me quote it to you. The Quebec liberals argue the test serves no purpose. Uh, really, the question for us is how necessary is it at this particular stage, said Pierre Arcon, leader of the official opposition. Uh, this values test doesn't seem to serve any need right now. I'm falling asleep. So they're not calling it racist. They're not calling it stupid. They're just, hey guys, I'm wondering if it's necessary. That's not even opposing. That's just mumbling something in the corner to yourself. No one opposes this. Same thing with the Global News Report. Quebec to impose values tests for new immigrants. Let me read. The Quebec government is moving forward with its contentious plan to impose a values test on future newcomers. The announcement was made in the province's official Gazette of Quebec, a government publication released on Wednesday. I think it's important when you settle in a new society to understand its values, Premier Francois Legault told a crowd of reporters. But did you, did you catch that one word? Contentious plan. 
I was writing the first line. But I read every word in that story, and there was actually nothing contentious in it at all. No one criticized it. No one. I think some editor in Toronto maybe added the word contentious because he thinks it is, but that was it. Here's the Montreal Gazette, the Anglo paper in Montreal, perhaps the most liberal city in the country. Immigrants will have to take a values test, but it won't be required for residency. Starting in January, those seeking to live in Quebec will have to obtain an attestation of learning about democratic values and the Quebec values expressed by the Charter of Human Rights and Freedom. Let me read a little more. Here's what they say. The Coalition Avonir Quebec government will proceed with its plan to impose a values test on new arrivals seeking employment, but unlike its original vision, it won't be a condition of their permanent residency in Canada. That's sort of what I said myself. What's the point? You're not actually kicking out bigots and racists and polygamists and scammers and haters. Uh, it's a little more than nothing, but not much more. The only objection that they publish is the liberal leaders saying, hey guys, the business lobby wants more cheap immigrants for labor. Of course, of course they do. That's what unlimited immigration does. It drives down wages. So of course business lobbies like unlimited immigration. Um, Canadian workers don't really. And of course it drives up housing prices and the business lobby likes that, at least landlords do. Uh, business lobbies don't often talk about values, like do you care about equality men and women? It's just not important to getting cheap labor, is it? Do you know why every single media company I just cited is completely docile, submissive, passive? In the face of this regulation, where they were on the warpath against Kelly Leach and Stephen Harper before. Why the CBC? Why the media party? Why opposition politicians are silent? In fact, in the case of the PQ, they want more. Because they all know that Quebecers really want this. Just like they know that the vast majority of Quebecers want the niqab ban. And look at this. This is a survey from Angus Reid of the entire country. Every single Canadian province wants this too. Trudeau knows that, which is why in the election campaign he didn't actually dare say he'd interfere with this in Quebec, which is why the Bloc Québécois did well in the last federal election. They didn't run on the promise of holding a separatist referendum that's not even in their power to do. Their federal party, the Bloc Québécois, it's a paradox. Um, that's for the provincial government to do. The Bloc Québécois ran on defending the Quebec culture. Look at this official tweet from the Bloc Québécois. This is the French version. Here's the translated version according to Twitter's own translation. It's yours. Opt for women and men who are like you, who share your values, who care about your concerns, and who work for your interests, for the interests of Quebecers, only Quebecers. Tomorrow belongs to you. And that's the official tweet from the Bloc, but that's not actually literally the translation of what the Bloc said. I'm not a French expert, but I don't think they said women and men who are like you. They used the word qui vous ressemblant, excuse me, ressemblant, resemble you. Vote for people who resemble you. I'm sorry my French pronunciation was wrong, but ressemblant means people who resemble you. That's what the Bloc campaigned on. And they're now the third largest party because of it. Because Quebecers are a little bit sick of the border crossing with the U.S. that is such a scam. And they're a little bit sick of Trudeau's immigration minister 
himself a Somali refugee, who shouts at anyone who disagrees with him that they're racist. He does that. Maybe Quebecers aren't racist, actually, but they're a little sick of being told that they're racist. Whether it's from an angry immigrant at McLean's magazine or an angry immigrant in Trudeau's cabinet himself, a refugee. Maybe Quebecers are actually fine with immigrants who share their values, like the equality of men and women, like the Parti Québécois. I, I want to see the questions too, by the way. I want to make sure that they have nothing to do with race, and I am sure they don't. I'm sure they do have something to do with the separation of mosque and state with honor killings, with respect for other minorities. I have the same questions the PQ does. Because those are all real issues in Quebec. They're real issues in English Canada too. Kelly Leach and Stephen Harper wanted to talk about them, but they were called racist. No, no, actually, those are not racist questions. They're human rights questions. They're secularist questions, in fact. And all of those scolds, who accused Kelly Leach and Stephen Harper of the worst things a few years ago, they simply lacked the courage to say the same things, to make the same slanders against Quebec as they did to the Anglos. That's weird, isn't it? Stay with us for more. Well, that incredible footage in recent weeks from Santiago, Chile. I've never seen anything like that before, ever actually torching a skyscraper, but not just a random act of arson. That skyscraper belonging to a public utility, a government bureaucracy, really, in Chile, that had made the decision to raise the price of public transit by literally just a few pennies. But that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And why did they raise the price of transit a few pennies? Because you see, they made the uneconomic decision to buy electric green-friendly buses at triple the, the price of regular diesel-powered buses. And someone had to pay for this green scheme. They said, oh, let the peasants pay. Well, the peasants were having none of it. How ironic that it was energy poverty brought upon by the green schemers that led to the torching. And wouldn't you know it, today, after weeks of protests, the Chilean government announced it will not or cannot proceed with its big conference that was planned for just a few weeks from now, namely the UN Conference on Global Warming, the annual traveling five-star luxury roadshow where bureaucrats, diplomats, lobbyists from all around the world gather to talk about precisely the green schemes that caused the riots. Joining us now via Skype from the Washington area is our friend Mark Morano of ClimateDepot.com. I tell you, uh, Mark, it is quite an irony, a delicious but terrible irony that these riots yeah. were caused, the spark of them. I mean, I know there's other reasons people are rioting. But the precipitating moment was when they had to jack up transit to pay for the green buses. 
this is rich in irony. Now, first of all, a little bit of background. I was scheduled to go for over a week to the UN Climate Summit in Santiago, Chile. Now, why was I going to Chile? That's where the UN conference was going to be. Why was it in Chile? It was originally scheduled for Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. But last year, the Bolsonaro president of Brazil, the Brazilian Trump, if you will, announced that he would have nothing to do with the UN Climate Summit, the UN Climate Agenda, et cetera, and canceled the UN. So in the height of their virtue signaling, President Pinera, the Chilean president, came forward and said, we are the model green country uh, in South America. We will host this lovely, beautiful UN Climate Summit. So they scheduled it for December. And everyone was booked to go. In fact, I was going to do my movie premiere there for Climate Hustle 2. We had scheduled in, at, at the UN Climate Summit, much like we did in Paris. And then what happens? And in, in part of the reason Chile wanted to have this, in fact, the, the main reason, they wanted to showcase their green agenda, modeled after what the United Nations Paris Agreement, the Green New Deal, yeah. all the virtue signaling you can imagine. And what they did is it, they, it all blew up in their face just six weeks before the Climate Summit. Not only the metro tax fare, which you're talking about, and the buses, but they also put a carbon tax on the remaining uh, sources of fossil fuel. And they also had skyrocketing energy costs from all of this, all of these green schemes and mandated solar and wind. And then they tried to blame it on high oil prices, which isn't the case because global oil prices have dropped and actually Chilean oil prices are lower. Uh, than they were a year ago. This is all the green economy, the green mandates sanctioned by the UN. Chile was trying to have a conference showcasing it. Instead, they're having their yellow vest moment like Paris saw uh, last year. Yeah, and you know what? It's, I'm glad you mentioned the yellow vest. Of course, the yellow vest symbol was because Emmanuel Macron not only had all these carbon tax schemes, but he had this weird command that every single motorist had to have a yellow vest in their dashboard glove box um, to wear in case that like it was just this stupid symbol of nanny statism that Macron ordered every motorist in France to have one in their glove compartment and it was just the final straw it's funny that I mean look obviously there are other reasons people are protesting but the, the, the spark in both France and Chile was this carbon tax scheming it's incredible now you say you had already booked your ticket. You were planning the the premiere of Climate Hustle 2. I'm very much looking forward to that movie. I remember when we premiered, we had the Canadian premiere of that movie in Calgary and Edmonton, sold out crowds. That was very, that was a great moment for us to be involved with you. Yeah. And, and, and I'd love to do that again in Canada with Climate Hustle 2 when you're ready to bring it to our country. Sure. Let's do that. But let me ask you a practical question. I went to the UN uh global warming bureaucracy's website today looking for more info on this cancellation they had none it was a one-line press statement saying we just received word of this we're trying to make other plans it sounds like this came as a shock to the un and they really don't have a plan b yet yeah which is kind of keep in mind it's a double shock because they originally scheduled rio then bolsonaro cancels then they scramble then chile takes up the, uh, uh, the President Panera in Chile takes up the slack. And I actually was been following this very closely. And I was wondering, are they really going to have this with all this violence and protests and deaths and all this disruption? So the UN should have been forewarned, but now they are left scrambling. Now, one of the, one of the scenarios in which they might do, the UN headquartered in Bonn, 
Germany, I almost said West Germany, I'm still thinking like the Cold War, but yeah. behind Germany, uh, they, it's possible they could have it there, a shortened, smaller uh, version of this in December in Bonn, or they may pick a new venue and delay it till January or February in some other exotic, faraway place that all the celebrities and UN activists and heads of state can fly in their private jets and uh, attend. We'll wait and see. I think it's probably not going to be in December because there's too many logistics to have that uh, redone by December. But I would expect possibly January, February and probably a simpler European setting that they could easier uh, make happen. Uh, but this is a big hit for the U.N. summit. I mean, these are planned well in advance. These are high profile. This is what they showcase the entire global warming agenda. And not just here's what's interesting, Ezra. It's not just the politics or the green energy. I can tell you right now, and you're not going to hear this from anywhere else. There are probably a dozen or so major peer reviewed in quotes or power reviewed climate studies from United Nations scientists that were timed to come out in late November, early December, just as the world was coming right. to Chile and summit. And there are all going to be studies. I can tell you what they're going to say. It's worse than we thought. Yeah. We face a climate crisis. We didn't know it was going to be this bad. We have to act now. All those studies, some of those are probably still going to come out because you can't change the sketch, the publication. And that's going to be funny. But this is a big con. And it's great to see the con of the UN summits explode in their face. Yeah. You know, I have not attended these, but we have always sent our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed. And I know that you yeah. always meet up with her. Uh, we went to the Marrakesh conference. We went to the one in Katowice, Poland. There might have even been one in Germany. I think there was. Um, uh, there was one in Bonn, Germany, you know, a few years back. I can't, you know, I, I think two or three years ago. Now. Yeah, so, so Sheila's been to a bunch of these. I can't even remember them all. Um, so we were going to go to Santiago as well. We will keep our eyes peeled, and we're going to send Sheila. And I just spoke with Kian Bexty today, one of our newer reporters, and he's eager to go also. He's an Alberta boy too, so he knows a bit about oil and gas. This will show him the anti-oil and gas industry. But let me ask you this. I've never been to Santiago, but I've seen pictures. It looks beautiful. It looks warm. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but it, it sounds like a pleasant place to go in December. It's slightly yes. exotic being in Latin America, but it's a, a fairly wealthy, developed city. So it looked like a real party for these international jet setters. I've been to Germany. I have not been to Bonn itself, but it looks a little bit dreary and a little less exotic, and it's not quite as fun in December or January, I think you're going to have all sorts of these diplomat bureaucrats who say, oh, I was planning on having a fun time in Chile. I don't want to go to Germany in wintertime. I'm not going. I think a lot of the party atmosphere is going to be drained out of this, and I say good. Yes, and that's always a dilemma. I think there's a, there's a frustration. In fact, the last 12 years, They've had three in Poland in November and December. And Poland is very, uh, yeah, it's not the best time of year to go. So I'm sure there's, there's this double-edged sword because it's right in the backyard of a lot of the UN bureaucrats and all the European leaders who are clamoring for these UN policies. So in a sense, it's very easy to get to in Europe, but there's no way they're happy about it. They're looking for Southern Hemisphere. They're looking for uh, you know, somewhere where it's the summer in the Southern Hemisphere in, in December, not the winter. So we don't know. It's, it's still possible they might move over. I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, 
Ecuador, which is a, a green socialism. Remember, Ecuador had the same fires that Brazil had. And keep in mind, NASA said the, the, the Amazon fires were below average mm -hmm. uh, when the media was going nuts that Brazil's right-wing policies were killing the Amazon. Meanwhile, the same fires were ignored in Ecuador because it was a socialist uh, in Bolivia and Ecuador, other places, because it was a socialist utopia. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if uh, if another Latin American country takes up this slack yeah. uh, for the UN Climate Summit. I know uh, some of the tourist-oriented, sunny places-oriented uh, UN Climate Conventions, Cancun, Mexico, Bali, yeah. Uh, yes. Even Marrakesh, Morocco looked beautiful, uh, temperate Moroccan city. Um, like they really like even uh, South Africa. Uh, they love these getaways. I think that they'll, they're going to try and get it somewhere toasty warm like that. But I think you're right when you say Ecuador, because the fact they went from Brazil to Chile suggests they want to keep it in Latin America. And I don't know that much about Ecuador, but they're pretty radical, aren't they? And they're, they're even crazier on the green schemes, aren't they? Yes, if, uh, if I'm not, I could be, it's Edward Morales, and I believe he's either Bolivia or Ecuador. I got my geography mixed up here for a moment, but they're, you know, these are essentially socialist and they're promoting uh, you know, the green socialism, the entire United Nations, uh, you know, fully formed agenda, even advanced beyond what the United Nations is claiming. And they're untouchable by the media criticisms. No, no. So no matter what natural disasters happen, unlike Brazil, they're not going to be blamed on the government because they have the approved policies. Yeah. But it's a lot of logistics to you know, reschedule it for South America. So if they do do South America, they may end up punting it to March or who knows when and be later, I think, mm -hmm. just because of the logistics of securing a place and getting hotels and airfare and setting everything up. Um, this was already a short term scramble to get it to happen in uh, Chile after Brazil canceled. Right. So. I, I think the, if we're a betting man, it's probably going to end up right at the UN headquarters in, in you know, right where they're stationed in Bonn, uh, Germany. And I think you're right. There's going to be a lot of disappointment among the UN political class because there's no exotic trip involved. And, you know, it's uh, Germany, by comparison, is Dullsville compared yeah. to the southern hemisphere. And again, I've been to the ones in Durban, South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Bali, uh, right on the beaches when I went in 2007, was at the Oceanfront Hotel with luau's every night. Hmm. Uh, so this is the kind of stuff that the UN likes to do. And they'll occasionally throw in a Poland or they'll throw in a Germany, yeah. sort of to keep it a little bit grounded into, you know, every, every few years. But the, the real locations are, are like Chile and, uh, and other Southern Hemisphere locations. Yeah, the well, I remember, uh, of course, in 2015 when it was in Paris, and Justin Trudeau and all his hangers-on, I mean, they love Paris. Who doesn't love Paris? So it was literally the largest delegation in the world came from Justin Trudeau in Canada, the most wasteful delegation. I remember that Catherine McKenna, our global yeah. warming minister, literally hired for six or 7,000 bucks a fashion photographer to capture her in action there. It was so over-the-top gross. I think that if the UN had its heart uh, heart's desire. It would be held in Venezuela or Cuba, yes. uh, the socialist utopias. But uh, I, don't I, yeah. I don't think they logistically they could have a successful conference of more than a few hundred people in either place. Last word to you, Mark. Exactly. Yeah, you, you'd wonder why they don't just pick Cuba. 
uh, or North Korea, for that matter. You know, if you look at the satellite, <laughs> low carbon, it's, low, low carbon footprint in North Korea. I mean, no one's right. wasting energy there. They don't got it to waste. You look at the satellite images. North Korea is pitch black. It has none of that. In fact, there have been environmentalists who who are afraid of. This is the truth afraid of unification of North and South Korea because of the DMZ, demilitarized zone between the two countries, has been left untouched since 1953 when the war ended, that they said there's so much um, diversity, wildlife, rare animal species, they're afraid if the countries reunite, that that little patch of uh, land, what is it, the 38th parallel, I believe, uh, if that gets developed and the country's reunified, that'll be an ecological disaster for that area. So this is the, some of the stuff that we, we have to deal with. But, yeah, you know, well, yeah it's, it's, there's rich irony in this. The U.N. Climate Summit canceled because of U.N. climate policies. That's basically the, the simple simple summation of what just happened. There. Yeah, you're right. Well, listen, keep us posted on that. We'll all keep keep watching. I'm, I'm sure they'll announce uh, their plans, whether it's a delay or, uh, or on schedule, you're probably right. They'll probably delay it. It's just too, you can't put on a, a conference for 20,000, 30,000 people on one yeah. month's notice. I, I just don't think that's that's. Well, you might be able to, again, if they choose bond, yeah. right where they're headed, they yeah. might be able to. All right, well, we'll keep, we'll keep in touch so. with you on that because we love meeting up with you. You're our resident expert on this subject. We'll have Sheila and Key in there. We'll let everybody know because, of course, we crowdfund our plane tickets, economy class, of course, to get there. And like last time, they'll probably try and ban us from the formal conference, but we'll try and sneak in some way. We'll keep you posted on that. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate All right, there's our friend Mark Morano. He's the boss of ClimateDepot.com, and he's attended pretty much every global warming UN conference for more than a dozen years. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back. I'm a monologue yesterday about Trudeau's plans for more internet censorship. Jan writes, if Trudeau is planning more censorship in the upcoming election, he must be planning on an election in the near future, say two years? Well, I think that's about the average lifespan of a minority government, isn't it? So absolutely. And what's crazy is that everyone says this election was not interfered with. Uh, that internet censorship panel that Michael Wernick was supposed to chair, they said nothing happened. Privy Council said nothing happened. Twitter said nothing happened. Facebook said nothing happened. But Trudeau and Karina Gould want more censorship anyways. Are you surprised? Edward writes, perhaps the bulletproof vest was worn to satisfy Justin Trudeau's need for cosplay. Or perhaps he was planning an impromptu stroll down the streets of Toronto where such shootings and stabbings are much more commonplace lately than at one of his rallies. Yeah, I knew immediately that was security theater. But the rest of the media, they just took the bait. Oh my gosh, are you okay? Justin Trudeau, it must be those bad, bad people in the right wing. No, it wasn't. You were just hoped again. On the Century Initiative plan for 100 million people in Canada, Lou right? The Century Initiative is nothing but a dangerous idea to nation building. Harper, in his thoughtful book, Right Here, Right Now, examines the globalist approach to national identity as a battle between the anywheres and the somewheres. The anywheres have no special attachments to any nation because they support open borders, elitism, free trade, and globalism. They're anti-Brexit and anti-Trump. The somewheres are those that believe in country, the flag, and the rule of law. Somewheres want to build better communities and a better nation. Their citizenship is rooting in the values of family and country. The Century Initiative Plan is designed to serve the anywheres at the expense of the somewheres. 
100 million people together doesn't make for a good, the good of a nation. Nation isn't about numbers. It's a totally misguided plan unless you believe in... Anyhow, it's a long letter. But my point is this. Um, the sense of nationhood is rooted in the land. It, it is. You know that because you love your block. You love your neighborhood. You, you, you love the people you grew up with. You love the park near your place. You love where you go for walks, where you walk your dog. You love the synagogue or church you go to. You, you love your favorite store, your favorite restaurant. Each one of these things is specific to a location. And even if you're loving a McDonald's restaurant, part of a globalist chain, but it's not the chain you love so much as the actual place you went to. We all are rooted. Even a family, I suppose, is the most hyper-local geographic rooting of people. To simply say, no, 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 the whole world is a hotel room for rent to anyone and you can leave anytime. I don't think that understands the human spirit or, or what we need as people. We need to be rooted somewhere. I mean, there are very exciting cosmopolitan, multinational-style cities. I, I think Singapore would meet that test. In some ways, even Manhattan does. But don't tell me Manhattan doesn't have its most flavorful character in Singapore, too. Now, I'm against these bankers and schemers who want just an absolutely homogenized place where you could wake up one day and not even know what city you're in because they're all the same. Now, that's not a future for me. All right, that's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.